My name is Mr. Pinto. This is chapter 23, page 300. When the fall semester began, I stopped by Dr. Savaz's office to say hello. It was my 19th birthday that day, and I shyly mentioned it to her because there was no one to celebrate my birthday with. Dr. Savaz picked up a book she had on her desk and said, I went to see a panel of Latino writers this weekend and bought this book. I think you'll like it. She handed it to me, and I looked down at the cover to read the title, The Moths and Other Stories by Elena Maria Viramontes. I never heard of it before. Latino literature wasn't something I was familiar with. I want you to have it, she said with a smile. She took the book from me and wrote, Happy Birthday, Reinita, on the title page and handed it back. No one had ever called me Reinita, not even my mother. Thank you, I said. This was the very first book I'd ever been given, one that I can keep and not have to return to the library. I went home and read The Moths. For the first time, since I had become an avid reader, I found myself reading about characters who lived in a world like my own, characters with the same color skin as mine, with the same heartaches and dreams. As the weeks went by, I visited Dr. Savaz or Diana, as she said to call her, at her office between classes. I never told her about life at home. We talked instead about books and writing. She was always asking me about my latest story, my latest poem. Sometimes I wanted to tell her about all the problems at home, about the increasing arguments between Mila and my father. Lately, they'd been fighting over a woman. Mila thought my father was cheating on her with someone at work. He denied it. I heard them yelling in their bedroom. When I got home from school, they would be in the living room screaming at each other. I'd walk by them and head to my bedroom. It was better if I stayed out of their way and didn't take sides. But I couldn't help thinking that now Mila knew how my mother had felt when my father had been cheating on her with Mila. One day I heard Mila screaming. That weekend, Betty, who was 13, had come over. Mila screamed again, and Betty and I went running to the living room just in time to see our father shoving Mila onto the couch. He fell on top of her and began to beat her. Mila squirmed beneath him. She wasn't able to get him off her. I stood there, not able to move or speak. I opened my mouth, but nothing came out. I couldn't believe he was hitting her. All those years I'd been on the receiving end of his fists. Not her. Never her. Betty looked at me, wanting to do something. I put my arm around her and pulled her close. I wish she wasn't seeing this. I wish I hadn't brought her over that day. Mila finally got my father off her. Leave me alone, she yelled. She ran out the door, down the stairs. He followed behind her, cussing at her. Then I heard the sound of metal falling and my stepmother crying out, Natalio, stop it, stop it. I heard my cousin Lola and her husband yelling at my father to stop from the floor below us. When Betty and I rushed downstairs, Mila was sobbing in Lola's arms, and my father was being restrained by Lola's husband, Chente. My father broke loose of Chente's grasp, and for a second it seemed as if he were going to pounce on Mila again. Instead, he rushed toward the stairs. It took me a second to realize he was headed my way, and I quickly moved myself and Betty out of the way to let him pass. I was so relieved when he didn't glance at us. I just went into the apartment without a word. Mila's leg was bleeding. My father had pushed her onto the garden tools under the stairwell, and she'd cut herself on the spikes of the rake. Come on, Mila. You need to go to the hospital, Lola said. Her husband helped Mila to the car. I stood there, not knowing what to do. Should I go with her? Should I stay with him? 
stay with my uncle, Lola said, making the decision for me. Go keep an eye on him. I stood there on the first step, and I couldn't get myself to take the next step up to go back to the apartment. Betty and I looked at each other, not knowing what to do. I didn't know how to be a little mother to my sister. Geez, Betty said, shaking her head at what had just happened. Eventually, I found the courage to take Betty and myself back upstairs. We went through the back door and tippy-toed across the kitchen, and I poked my head into the living room. My father had turned off the light, and he was sitting there on the couch, motionless. I wondered if he had fallen asleep. We went into my room and stayed there. I woke up to someone shaking me. I opened my eyes, and I saw a female police officer standing over me. She shone a flashlight into my eyes. What's going on, I said. She took me and Betty into the living room where two other police officers were putting handcuffs on my father. He didn't look at me and Betty. He never looked up from the floor. Then they walked him out the door. I watched them make their way down the stairs. I couldn't take my eyes off the handcuffs. I couldn't believe my father was in handcuffs. I looked at Betty, wishing once again she wasn't there to see him like this. My mother was always telling her bad things about him, so she didn't like him very much to begin with. What would she think of him now at seeing her father turned into a criminal? When they put him in the patrol car, he looked up at us for a brief moment before the car door closed and they took him away. Let's go inside, the female cop said. We sat in the living room. Can you tell me everything that happened? I found that I couldn't speak. How can I tell her about the abuse? How can I tell her I was ashamed of what he'd done, that as his daughter I shared in his guilt? How can I say that even though I knew he was getting what he deserved, I was still afraid for him? I didn't want anything to happen to him. I didn't want him to go to jail. What's going to happen to him? I wanted to ask her. To me. To us all. To my surprise, when I dropped off Betty, my mother offered to take me in. I decided to move in with her because I knew I couldn't be at my father's apartment anymore. Mila had returned from the hospital black and blue from head to toe. It shamed me to look at her. She knew I'd said nothing, done nothing to defend her. I took my few belongings to my mother's little apartment. That night I slept on the floor, wedged against the dining table. My mother, Betty, and Leonardo slept sideways on the bed with their feet hanging over the edge. Ray slept on the floor right against the entertainment center. If I reached out, I could almost touch him. That is how small the room was. By the second night, I knew I couldn't stay there. My last class at PCC ended at 7 p.m. It'd take me nearly three hours to get to my mother's house from Pasadena all the way to downtown LA riding the bus. It was almost 10 when I found myself walking alone down 7th Street. Homeless people slept on the sidewalks and I had to step over them. Drunks pushed their shopping carts, men drove by and whistled at me. I walked so fast my side was hurting, my legs were burning. When a group of men turned that corner and started heading toward me, I took off running and didn't look back. Why don't you drop that last class, my mother said when I got home. I tried to catch my breath, but it was coming in gasps. I shook my head, horrified at her suggestion. That is how it starts, I wanted to tell her. Once you drop one class, it makes it easier to drop them all. I visited Diana during her office hours. I needed someone to talk to, and she was the only person I can trust. I knocked on her office door, and for a moment, I thought about turning around and leaving. Why should I burden someone else with my worries? As soon as she opened the door and said, Reinita, in that high-pitched voice of hers, I knew I'd made the right decision to come to her.
I told Diana what had happened over the weekend and the past three days that I'd been at my mother's. I couldn't stop the tears from coming, even though I told myself not to cry. Diana didn't need my drama. I didn't want to burden her with my problems. Diana grabbed my hand and said, Renita, you can't be in that situation any longer. You have to think about school. That's all you should worry about. I wiped the tears from my eyes. How can I not worry? How could I escape all of this? I had nowhere to go. Would you like to come stay at my house? Diana asked. What? I asked, rubbing my eyes. I live across the street from here in a house owned by PCC and it's got three bedrooms. But Diana, I don't want to trouble you with all my problems. I just couldn't. I stopped myself, took a deep breath, and then mustered up the nerve to say what was really on my mind. Yes, I'll go with you, Diana. From now on, Reynita, my home will be your home, she said. As Diana held my hand, I realized I had been wrong. There are heroes in real life.